Well, happy Sunday, Shauna. So um, there's a lot going on right now regarding inclusion efforts. Um, in particularly, what I've been noticing is inclusion efforts that are running up against critiques that they are um, not inclusive of people with particular values and morals, often religious, but not always. And so it's given um, me some food for thought, and I'm wondering what you think about it. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, this is one of the places in my life where I carry Christian privilege. And so I have to see this kind of with the other side of my brain, the other side of my diversity and inclusion brain that I usually do uh, or usually use. And so, you know, Reverend Williams, a United Methodist pastor back in 2016, he had to um kind of give some backing as to why his rural Texas church decided to begin offering same-sex weddings. And his incredible quote that has been kind of plastered all over the place, he said, at the end of the day, I'd rather be excluded for who I include than be included for who I exclude. And, you know, I quipped when I first heard this quote and said, if I could just encapsulate the entirety of my personal theology, that would be it mm -hmm. right there in one sentence. Right. And yeah. so, you know, it kind of makes me feel as if, you know, the majority is trying to feign some type of reverse exclusion that doesn't exist, but I need to flesh it out more. I'm still getting my thoughts together. So let's All dive right. in. Let's do it. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. I may be the first, but I know I won't be the last. Create a little club, do something. Just do something that's, if it's not there already, create it. Be the leader. If you can knock down that barrier and be the first, it makes it a lot easier for other people to come through without having to go through a lot of those things. Is women supporting women? So we not only have to support each other, but we have to decide that we're going to choose solidarity and act on it. The Outspoken Women in Endurance Sports Summit brings women together to build connections, increase and sustain women's leadership in the industry, and drive forward equity and inclusion. In the past, we focused on women in triathlon, but this year, we are expanding our scope and including all endurance sports with a key focus on business. Learn strategies to help you grow your own business, ways to build your influence and career in the endurance industry, and leave with a network of other women committed to helping you succeed. Join us at the Outspoken Summit from November 11th to November 13th in Tempe, Arizona. Visit OutspokenSummit.com or click the link in the show notes for more information and get your ticket today. That's OutspokenSummit.com. The Outspoken Summit. Build your brand, grow your influence, drive your impact.
Seven years ago, a group of 12 athletes asked the powers that be at Ironman headquarters for equal slots for the pro women at the Ironman World Championship. We felt strongly then, as we do now, that equality of opportunity is important in sports, not just for the pros, but for the girls coming up behind us who will see that equality, feel valued, and have heroes they can look up to. Fast forward to 2022. It's been three years since we've seen an Ironman at all in Hawaii, and the women now have their own day, or at least plans that will evolve into women having their own day. And the pro women have equal slots. So the Feisties are heading to Hawaii to produce a daily live podcast series called The Women of Kona, where we will be getting real behind the scenes for the historic debut of what will become the women's only race. We will discuss the issues with leaders, pros, influencers, and age groupers. We will also bring you all the usual feisty fun, like performance tips from the best pros and coaches, race day predictions, coverage and TikToks, from the Hoala swim to the underpants run to race day. Join us as I, Sarah Gross, take you behind the scenes at the Ironman World Champs with the women who made the race what it is today and those who will shape the future of our sport. You can watch all the actions starting on September 30th by subscribing to Feisty Media on YouTube or, by sub- or you can listen by subscribing to Iron Women on your podcast app. So that's Feisty Media on YouTube or the Iron Women podcast on your podcast app. See you in Kona. Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to challenge yourself, Orca has fit-for-purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA, and when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account. Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water. It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items at orca.com, use the code IRONWOMEN15. So the two things that are on my mind of late are um, Yeshiva University, which is in New York City. They um, were fighting... Um, the requirement to be inclusive of an LGBTIQA student group. Um, And a trial court said that they had to treat that student group like they would treat any other group. And so they appealed to the Supreme Court um, to kind of get to get a stay on that trial court ruling. And that was denied in a 5-4 opinion. So what they did in response was basically suspend all student group activity. So now there's no student clubs at Yeshiva University, they can't do anything because they were being told that they had to be inclusive of the LGBTIQA community. And then um, Colorado, again, love it. Um, So folks might remember, we also had um, the bakery, the masterpiece bakery um, that refused to make a wedding cake for a gay couple. And that went up to the Supreme Court and they won. Um, But there's another, another woman here a web designer now who is saying um, that because she opposes same-sex marriage 
on religious grounds, she doesn't want to design websites for same-sex weddings, and she wants to post that on her website. Now, that's a violation of Colorado's anti-discrimination law, and so she is challenging that in court, and it looks like the Supreme Court of the United States is going to be taking that up in the next session. So in both cases, these are desires to exclude a group of people based on religious beliefs. Um, but as I said earlier, it isn't necessarily just religious beliefs. These two just happen to be about that. And therefore, the critique that follows is, well, if you believe in diversity and inclusion, then you need to be respectful of my religious beliefs so I can then exclude this group of people. And I find that really problematic. It's it's beyond problematic because part of it does feel like reverse everything. You know, it's now I'm being persecuted for having my beliefs and being forced to either do business with some group or or um, support another organization that I don't necessarily agree with. And for me, it's really interesting because does it really need to go all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court for you to decide that? I serve some people and I don't serve others. And what is that saying as far as how, it, it kind of reminds me of a, a very Southern saying, your slip is showing, meaning that you are being clearly racist, sexist, homophobic, and you're so brazen about it that you're willing to let it show by going all the way up to the US Supreme Court. And so I think it's interesting for people to be so bold that, they're willing to say, you know what? It's the principle of the thing. It's my right to be homophobic. It's my right to be racist. It's my right to be sexist. Now, of course, we know they're not going to use those terms. They're going to veil it underneath the guise of their religion or of some other uh, uh, group of values. And that's what's so interesting to me is that mm, that's a thin argument, in my opinion, because again, it's limiting a whole group of people that live their entire lives limited when you have a very free and inclusive and privileged life, business, organization, et cetera. It, it's fascinating. I don't have any clear mm -hmm. answers, but right. it, it just, it really reminds me of people who have overwhelming privilege. And the second that there seems to be some type of restriction on what they perceive they can and should do, all of a sudden there's this, going back to our previous podcast on being offended, gaslighting all day, all day, all day. And yeah. I don't know if they realize it to be that, but you, this is, the people that you're mentioning are groups that are extremely privileged in other ways. That to me, mm -hmm. like beats down the, the credibility of their argument from the beginning. Yeah, it is. It's interesting, though, right? And this is where I, I get tripped up, because if we truly are about diversity and inclusion, then our kind of diversity and inclusion tent, so to speak, should be inclusive of everybody. And so the argument would be that that means if I say, no, homophobic person, you can't come into my tent, right? Because you're exclusive, then I am actually being exclusive, right? Like I'm not actually living up to the values of inclusion. I don't, mm -hmm. I fundamentally don't agree with that. I, I'm just trying to process through how best to articulate that argument, because what would stop a race um, or some other mm -hmm. endurance sport organization from saying, well, we're mm -hmm. not going to allow members of this community to register or participate because that goes against my values, right? Or my morals, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that you have to honor that 
DEI professional because you need to be inclusive of Mm -hmm. my kind of role in the world and my opinions and my perspectives. So that inclusion tent, should it include Mm -hmm. people who exclude? I mean, based on your, the quote that you started the show with, then no, Mm -hmm. right? Well, and that's where, so my analogy has been for many, many years on this topic, and I know it may be oversimplifying the topic, but I'm still trying to wrestle with it, is that um, I was sharing with you earlier, Lisa, let's say you and I both live in the same house and you want to live in one room in that big old house. I want to live in all the rooms. I want to utilize all the rooms. I want to benefit from all the rooms. Well, is it fair for you to lock me in one room? Because I'm not preventing you from doing what you want to do, but because you want to stay in one room, you're expecting everyone else to stay in that one room with you. And that's my concern with all of this is around, and and I can go down the laundry list of U.S. topics that feel very similar to this house analogy, is that For example, I've shared with many people on my pro-choice, pro-life stance. I am very pro-choice. I'm also pro-life, by the way, but I'm very pro-choice. Pro-lifers who are very strict with their perspective on things force everyone or expect others to be pro-life along with them. I'm not keeping you from being pro-life, so don't keep me from being pro-choice, right? And so that's where we get this kind of tug of war, to see who's going to win the tug. And unfortunately, the tug of war usually ends up uh, going in a direction where the person that's already the strongest pulls the rope. And that's what's a shame when it's like, wait a minute, you already have great benefit. You already have great privilege. The people that I hear talking about pro-life are the people that already have access to so much where it's not a concern to them that they could bring a life into the world that they may not be able to feed or clothe or house or educate because they benefit from so many things. They can't imagine a life otherwise. And so for me, I'm like, eh, I don't like how this feels because the people who feign offense are usually people that have the most liberty, the most freedoms, the most access, the most everything. And the people that want those freedoms are the ones that are usually not winning the tug of war here. I I, I don't like that feeling of being in between. Yeah. I like the way you talk about that with the person, the strongest person is usually the person that pulls the hardest, right? And that's the person that has the most power or the most privilege. I mean, how many people can escalate their case up to the Supreme Court? Probably very few. Um, It is interesting though, right? Like, my right to exclude, right, whether that whatever constitutional right I'm hanging that on actually infringes upon someone else's right to get what they need to be happy, to be free, right? So therefore, so so in that sense, my freedom has limits, right? Like I can't just claim universal mm. freedom to be and do whatever I want if the end result is that I'm harming or excluding other people. And I feel mm-hmm. like that kind of next step of the argument is lost because it's really self-centered oh, yeah. around don't make me do what I don't want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Irrespective of the damage or the harm that you're causing on another personal group of people. Like when we think about rights, it feels like a very black and white argument, right? You have them or you don't, but the 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 enacting of a right, if that starts to encroach upon someone else's, 
then then it becomes a problem. I could also see someone making that argument in the reverse, but I don't know. Um, I feel like we do that. We we've spent two and a half years doing that, making that very same argument with masking. We we've done the very same thing with the pandemic, haven't we? Because it's been this two and a half year tug of war of Lisa. I have the right not to wear a mask. I have that right, no matter who dies, no matter who gets sick, no matter whether your kids get to go to school or not, no matter whether your 90-year-old grandmother dies, I don't care because my right to not wear a mask is more important than anything else in the world. We can do that with masking. We can do it with with guns. And and I'm a gun owner, by the way. We We can do it with a laundry list of things where the right to fill in the blank is more important or prioritized over the options of choice or the benefit to the full community. And that's what's very challenging. And and going to this whole point about the the liberties piece, I remember when the, I think it was the CDC, but it was a, a number of organizations were talking about masking. Maryland, where I lived at the time and still live, were extremely aggressive in the beginning because we were one of the counties that had the highest numbers from the get-go. I mean, we were quarantining a couple weeks before the rest of the country was quarantining. And what was interesting about that entire concept was that when the marketing and the branding went out for that, it was more about, hey, love your neighbor, since we've been talking about theology a little bit here, love your neighbor, wear a mask, right? And that turned into, hold up, I have a right not to wear a mask. No, I don't care nothing about this community. I have a right to go out and get fresh air and I don't care what happens to you and your kids and your family and your 90-year-old grandmother. It turned into my rights versus (laughs) what if we had branded it because we're in the US, so we are very self-centered around here, let's be clear. What if we had branded it a different way to say, you're going to die if you don't put on a mask. You are going to be harmed specifically. You're not going to be able to Mm. go to work and earn your money, et cetera. So instead of it um, coming from a communal branding and marketing perspective, as it did initially, what if it had come from everybody in the U.S., let's assume we're all selfish and therefore we need to brand masking in a way that focuses on self, then there might be millions of people still living right now. Had we come from a uh, individualistic, self-centered branding perspective. And I think that's how we do DEI oftentimes is that like, even when it comes to some of these other topics we've talked about, it's been about, I have the right to fill in the blank versus Oh, what if we marketed this a little bit differently because we are the great experiment, the great American experiment that valued this mixing bowl of people that have these rights. Well, what if the great experiment is failing and has failed because it's about our rights and not about other people? I'm going to get off my soapbox now. I'll just stop right there. I think that's a really great comparison, actually. Um, And I, so I think that, you know, in these examples, in the, bakery cake making and then this web designer woman in Colorado it feel like it's been created as this is my right that is being violated right not that there is community harm but I don't know that an argument to a business owner about um, not having exclusionary practices I don't know how to frame that in a way 
that would feel individual, like you described around the masks, right? Because the person isn't going to die if they um, don't make cakes for a gay person's wedding. But um, I suppose there could be fiscal or financial harm, right, that they might experience, but that's a little hard to quantify, you know. Um, and, and the university thing just blows my mind. It just blows my mind, right? And Yeshiva University is not the first and they won't be the last to have this situation with any kind of, this happens to be an LGBTIQA student group, but it's been, we've seen that with other identities, right? And, you know, you're trying to create a learning environment and you're telling students who want to form this pride alliance that they don't matter. Like that just feels really troubling kind of in your individual versus community collective when campuses are by definition a community of people coming together to learn, right? And you're telling, you're like carving it out. And now you're basically saying, well, then no one gets to be in a student club. Like it's a temper tantrum, right? Well, then if I don't get to do what I want as a university and exclude this group of people, then no one gets it. It's like Seinfeld, right? Like no soup for you, right? Like, like no one gets soup. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that feels extremely childish as I, as I kind of think about that. Well, it's childish, but it's not new in the U S I mean, we did the same damn thing with, with, Prince Edward County and Brown versus Board of Education, you'd rather put chains on the doors of the school than to integrate. That is a fucking temper tantrum. And it's the exact same thing that you're mentioning here right now. So I, I don't, yes, I do think it's, uh, you know, a fallen out on the floor temper tantrum of a particular group, but it's also not new. And we could go, I mean, you're more of a historian than I am even in my own home country here, but I'm like, um, Hello, how many wars were temper tantrums? The entire freaking civil war was a temper tantrum. Uh, we could go on and on about the temper tantrums in this country. That is very common. And so the fact that these, again, as much as Lisa, you and I talk about how we're, we may be frustrated, but not surprised by people's behavior. That's exactly how I feel about all of these is that this is not surprising. And so, you know, I, I guess my, Maybe the sticking point that, that you're kind of bringing up for me is around codifying things, meaning that, you know, like going back to our pro-life, pro-choice analogy or things like that, where, you know, it's one thing to say, I believe in pro-life and I'm anti-abortion, so that's going to be my choice. That's one thing. I support that 100%. The codifying of it by saying, my choice now has to be everybody's choice is the frustration, especially when everybody's choice um, usually comes from the, the privileged and quote unquote power majority perspective, right? And we do the same thing with Christianity. I mean, I'm, I'm in that group 100% where, I, and I challenge, especially folks from my hometown all the time, you're, you're, um, you're for, prayer in schools, but the underlying phrase that you didn't finish in that sentence is if it's a Christian prayer, if there is a Muslim prayer, if there are agnostics, if there are atheists and they choose to do something completely different, then all of a sudden I guarantee you, you will be anti-prayer for others, right? And so I, I think the, the codifying of the majority perspective for everyone is more the problem. 
Like, do, do we have to make a law? Really? We do? Interesting, because when it comes to people's choices and then going into the LGBT communities, people's mere existence being offensive to you? That to me, when you're starting to uh, erase humanity, and sometimes quite literally, I should say, to me, that's the codifying piece of we're going to code it, we're going to put it in policy, we're going to put it in legislation that then becomes the problem and sometimes ignites wars in many ways and violence in other situations. So maybe it's the codifying piece for me that's tripping me up. Well, it's the codification of a contraction, right? Versus the codification Mm. of expansion. Expansion, yep. Anti-discrimination law is a codification, but it's one that says your tent has to be big and it has to be inclusive. This this web designer essentially wants to rule, wants to hear that that is an unconstitutional law because it violates her individual rights to free exercise of religion, right, and free speech. Um, And so, but to then, so then to remove the anti-discrimination law contracts the tent, right? So that is different. That feels different to me and not, not inclusive because then we're honoring a minority of people's exclusive tendencies versus trying to create opportunities and space for everyone, no matter their identity. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and, and I think what's really interesting about uh, some of the examples we've already talked about is that, you know, especially when they happen in university settings, you know, most, most, let me let me backtrack that. Many conservative, I won't say most because I don't have data to support that, but many conservative viewpoints think that colleges and universities are packed with liberalism, right? That even when conservative, it's still more liberal than those who happen to not be university educated, right? And so given that, that's what makes it so interesting when so many of uh, these particular perspectives happen on college and university campuses, right? I mean, we we even had a situation um, at my previous university where they wanted to, and, and you've heard this before, Lisa, where you have all these different student organizations, you have a, a Black student union, you might have a Latinx student union, et cetera. And then what happens when a particular group of students want to create a white student union? And what does that mean? Again, for um, for white students, for non-white students, of course, the optics of it are interesting, right? And yet at the same time, as much as I didn't want that student organization to necessarily exist based on their proposed constitution, I also thought, well, I don't want to go in the other direction of, you know, this particular university that's saying, well, we're just going to shut everybody down. I didn't want to do that either. And so as much as I despised that student group being initiated and existing, I also knew that I couldn't throw that hissy fit that we were talking about before and shut everyone down just because there was one group that I didn't agree with. And so again, the expansion piece, right? And so, you know, that we talked about this a lot on campuses and, you know, we may want to consider this in this too, especially in endurance sport. What happens when going back to our offended conversation, What happens when we need to expand to include even sometimes that offensive voice in order to make sure that everyone is heard versus contracting 
to prevent that difficult voice from being heard. And then it prevents everybody from being heard. Right. Right. That's very thorny, I think. And the ACLU, I mean, they defend free speech rights across the political uh, and ideological spectrum for that very Mm -hmm. reason. Right. Mm -hmm. If it's free speech, it's free speech. So you get to say whatever you want to say, whether you like to hear it or not. Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's their position on some of these rights, which is exactly Mm -hmm. that. And I think, um, you know, I think about, you know, in the context of triathlon with the white student group and triathlon, right, there's the Black Triathletes Association that has mm-hmm. formed because there are so few Black triathletes. And so it's an opportunity pr- to provide support and mentorship and camaraderie, right? But white triathletes don't need an organization because the whole sport of triathlon is predominantly white, right? Which is the same thing like on a predominantly white campus. Like you don't need your own student group because the whole campus is your group, right? So that would be like, so then, you know, the critique that the Black Triathletes Association is exclusive, right? Like it, Mm -hmm. it just obviously belies like a complete lack of understanding of like the historical context and contemporary context, right? But it's there, that argument is there, you know? Mm Exactly. Right. The argument is there. And so, you know, that's where, you know, especially with our organizations, our businesses and so forth in endurance sport is being very aware. I'm not saying be uh, I'm not saying don't speak up, but be aware that there is a difference between language or communication that is offensive and actual hate speech. So just know that that's one thing. And and I think that's where the conundrum comes in. And I used to deal with this with students, dealt with it with faculty, grown ass adults that are like, I'm offended by this, or they shouldn't say that. And I'm like, yes, I agree with you. However, what they've stated is not illegal. It's not hate speech, yet it's still problematic. And dealing with that in between. And I feel like that's kind of this category that a lot of these uh, businesses and organizations fit into where it's like, nah, I don't want to hear it either. I don't want to even give the perception that I'm supporting their stance. However, I am supporting their right to voice their opinion, because when it's time for me to voice my opinion, I don't want anyone filtering that either. Right. So it's the voicing of the opinion versus the action, right? In the cases, in the mm-hmm. um, cases at the, the top of the show with the university and the web designer, they're actually taking legal action to, to your mm-hmm. point, codify the restriction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Versus yep. just them sharing their struggle and or difficulty with those anti-discrimination requirements. Um, yeah. 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 I, 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 I know how I feel about this. Right. And I think I just constantly kind of trip over how best to articulate what it means to be inclusive. Mm-hmm. And sometimes being inclusive can mean being inclusive of individuals who have positions that are counter to yours and um, you might find challenging. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think being inclusive means I have to necessarily honor a person's interest in discriminating against a person or group. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you mm-hmm. feel differently about that, Shauna. Oh, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. And, you know, I, I wish I could find it. There was a statement that a 
that a university president put out and it was in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. And there were folks that were still all lives mattery um, on campus, in the area, around the area, et cetera. And I felt like the president did, or their communications folks, did a incredible job walking that very tight, I keep talking about ropes today, the tightrope of um, the in-between the two, where it was, we unequivocally believe that the sentiments of these groups run counter to the values of this university and this campus, and at the very same time, support your right to say so. And that is such a, I mean, just the thinnest of thin Uh lines to walk. Mm -hmm. And I find myself there all the time. You know, if I want to put out my pride flag on the front of my house, then unfortunately I have to support other folks that want to put other flags up that are not hate, hate crimes, but, or hate speech, but I have to support other flags that I don't always agree with at the very same time. Cause I want to put up my damn flag. I want you to put up your flag, even if selfishly for the reason that I want to put up mine. So again, that still begs for even some level of community, even with people you don't agree, especially with people you don't agree with. And I think that's part of the U.S. experiment conundrum. You don't get to silence folks around here. Right, right. Yeah. And then that I think that <clears throat> this is another conversation for another day, but the line about where speech becomes hate speech is also malleable depending on your positionality, Right. Um, and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable um but yeah we need more bottles of wine for that conversation lisa that we we don't have enough right now to get to that conversation but yeah but i i hear you and i share the conundrum and i i don't want to lead our listeners into uh this vicious uh cycle of what do we do what do we do but I do think it's important for us to highlight what it means um, when it comes to the silencing of people who we don't agree with and the privilege of being able to state what you want, how you want, when you want to a point um, and how messy that is. Because, you know, Lisa, we messy all the time on this podcast. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. very little that's straightforward on our podcast ever. And I think that just falls within this very same category. Yeah, I'm a little bit clearer um, after this conversation, but I do think this is also underscoring, you know, if you're trying to address this kind of inclusion of exclusive points of view in your organization or in your team, you do need to really do the kind of intellectual labor um, around how to articulate it effectively, right? Because you can tie yourself in knots, I think, a little bit with it, which is where I was before this conversation. Like, I know how I feel, but I wasn't able to very clearly articulate it in a way that Mm -hmm. perhaps was persuasive and just you know shouting that well this is how I feel and this is right (laughs) it's not very persuasive (laughs) exactly exactly I think we got a a a better uh a better statement here more persuasive at least um but I think we have a really good hell yeah and a hell not for folks right I think so let's do it hell yeah Hell no. So look, y'all, I knew 
about Patagonia, but I thought this was a really cool hell yeah. And it's so funny. Lisa and I communicate so much during the week. I think I may have sent this to her and she sent it to me at the very same time. And so, yeah, we had both looked at this, but I thought this was just incredible. So um, the article that I read, the title of it was Billionaire No More, Patagonia Founder Gives Away the Company. I'm like, say what? Oh my God. Mm -hmm. So uh, the founder of Patagonia, I will not uh, even pretend to be able to pronounce the name. I believe it's a French name. It's a beautiful spelling. Um, the founder of Patagonia forfeited ownership of the company that he founded 49 years ago. And where are the profits going? Fighting climate change, y'all. Can y'all believe that? I, I, I don't think... Maybe I haven't done enough homework, but I've never heard of anybody doing something right. this. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Haven't mm -hmm. heard of anything this radical. Yeah. And giving, so I mean, giving up. He's a white dude, right? He's giving up. His yes. Wealth. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so, you know, this is almost 50 years later. Uh, this gentleman obviously founded an outdoor apparel company. Uh, he's an eccentric rock climber, as he uh, kind of describes himself, and became a reluctant billionaire um, by using this kind of unconventional spin on capitalism. And so what he decided to do was um, he and his wife and two adult children have now decided to transfer their ownership of Patagonia, valued at $3 billion, with a B, $3 billion, as in bike, to a specially designed trust and nonprofit organization. And so they were created to preserve the company's independence and make sure that all of its profits, around $100 million a year, are used to combat climate change. And then also to think about developing uh, underdeveloped land all around the world. And so I have never heard of anything like this. Um, and so, you know, this is interesting. This gentleman is 83 years old. I would be interested to hear if he had, a, you know, ongoing long-term interest in this, or he had some type of change of heart, but this is incredible. Were, were you kind of shocked when you heard the news? Yeah. I mean, Patagonia has always been a pretty sustainable company to my knowledge. Like they've always mm. been very attentive to that, but this is like a massive swing um, mm. like they were already doing work, but this is swinging like so far to the climate change direction. Um, uh -huh. it was surprising because you just, you just don't see that. I mean, even other, you know, other white dudes like Bill Gates, who are really pretty big philanthropists, mm -hmm. they're not turning around and just saying, have my whole, you know, any profit for Microsoft, mm -hmm. like putting it in mm -hmm. a trust and a nonprofit go, you know, mm -hmm. he's not doing that. Right. He's, right, taking, right. he's taking stuff home for himself and he's still pretty comfortable. Mm. Um, and as, as this person would be, and he's 83, right. So he, you could argue that he's waited a long time to do it, but I still think like that's an, it's an important move. And so when you think about, um, using the power of the purse, right. So mm. therefore for me, this is like, oh, maybe I should go to Patagonia more often and look at, you know, if I need something, getting it from there, knowing that this is, um, mm. what, the company is doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I think is interesting is that, you know, this gentleman doesn't seem to be too flashy. Um, he doesn't own a computer. He doesn't own a cell phone. You know, his company has been given away about 1% of its sales for a long time, but um, he's quoted as saying, 
I was in the Forbes magazine listed as a billionaire, which really, really pissed me off. <laughs> and so I think that's interesting, too, that no, I don't think it went to this extreme early on, but he doesn't seem to be a selfish person here. So I just think this is interesting, selfish or not. Um, I think this is very interesting. And I'm wondering how many people um, will be interested in creating such a drastic change that benefits the world, everybody. So I think it's so interesting. So maybe, massive hell yeah. Yeah, maybe his is the first domino that goes, right? And it sets up a chain. Who knows? So I guess time will tell. Um, well, and Lisa, we we should be as uh, endurance sport athletes. <laughs> I, I think I might just want to run out and buy something from Patagonia right now, because, again, we've had podcasts on this topic before. Climate change directly affects what we can and cannot do as endurance sport athletes. So kudos, kudos to them and their family. Yeah. All right. So on a downer then with the hell nah. So it looks like the French uh, Cycling Federation is on their way to the Cycling World Championships in Australia. And they flew their men team, men's team in business class and women and um, staff and other kind of like less important people all had to fly economy. And the reason that they um, did it this way, they cited, was that the men's team makes more money and is likely going to win. And I, I have a BBC article here um, and they say, for the men, we've been world champions for the last two years. We are really going there to win. While we are more of an outsider in the girls competition. So uh, not only did you infantilize your women cyclists, you also have said that because you think they're not going to win, well, way to support your team, that they don't deserve to fly business class, right? And then they cited other like financial limitations, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, pretty, you know, we hear about this all the time. I mean, this is, we see this in the WNBA versus the NBA in the United States and in other um, you say women's soccer. soccer. Yep. Yeah. Same things, right? Where there's always, always a way to find a justification to shortchange the women because they're not as good, not as profitable, not as this, not as that, right? And this whole, you know, well, if you don't, if you truly, if you don't have the money, French Cycling Federation, like you're struggling, then don't put the dudes in business class. Just have everyone fly economy because you know what? That would probably save you a shit ton of money. But, you know, no, couldn't do that, right? Couldn't do that. So big up to the French uh, Cycling Federation on that one. It just uh, continues, right? Just continues. The little digs here and there. That, that's just so sick. That's sick, sick. But you know what? Again, not surprised once again. And how about we never get the reverse rationale on behalf of women, Lisa? You know what I'm saying? Like, like the re reverse rationale would be, oh, let's put the women in first class because even if they aren't having a winning season, maybe if they get better rest, they get to stretch out, they get to sleep and they get the good food, we can give them a better chance because yeah. even being sexist, oh, well, we're the men, we're going to win no matter if right. we got to fly on the wing, we're going to win anyway, so whatever. Bullshit on y'all, French National Cycling Federation, because y'all are disgusting and still uh, duplicating what we continue to see here in the U.S. That just... Another global perspective on the same bull, right? BS in another country, right? BS in another country. Want to get more out of your rides this fall? 
Any old device can track distance, time, and pace, but how about the ability to see upcoming hills or points of interest along your route? The Hammerhead Kauru 2 helps you find your path forward and unlock your full potential on every ride. For a limited time, our listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Kauru 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code UNFAZED at the checkout to get yours today. I just think it's so cool that we have our own promo code, right? Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah. The Power 2's touchscreen display is intuitive, responsive, and in full color. So your navigation experience is more like a smartphone than a GPS device. You'll see your data more clearly than ever, even in rugged conditions, since the screen is scratch resistant with anti-glare and water droplet rejection. And I will say, Shauna, that touchscreen is really responsive when I've used it. So I've been pretty Awesome. Hammerhead's Caro 2 was named Bicycling Magazine Editor's Choice in GPS Cycling Computers for the past two years and continues to collect accolades throughout the sport. This is an exclusive limited time offer only for our podcast listeners. So don't forget to use promo code UNFAZED. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Cairo 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart and use promo code UNFAZED today. Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. I love the meal recommendations that come with the analysis. It prompted me to add salmon into my meal rotations and I am loving it. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and then use the code feisty at checkout. Feisty Triathlon is proudly partnered with TryHard. TryHard is the only company offering pre and post swim solutions to provide comprehensive protection for your hair and skin. Its products include swimmer's shampoo, pre and post swim conditioner, pre and post swim lotion, and more. All products are made with clean formula and are parabens free, SLS free, alcohol free, cruelty free, vegan, and non GMO. And to boot, bottles are made with 80% recycled plastic. So why don't you swim without compromising your skin and hair? Unfazed listeners get 15% off all TryHard products by going to tryhard.co and using the code FEISTY15. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at umphasepodcast.com and find us on social media at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>